Chilliwet City. It's a real bitch. It barks through the night, making truly restful sleep little more than that old friend that you hardly speak to anymore. One that you accepted their Facebook friend request ten years ago, but always scrolled past their holiday photos. The city chases you. Down the streets, down dirty alleyways, through the shopping mall, nipping at your heels, hardly letting you catch your breath. Silhouette City shakes its soggy, matted fur, splashing your faded suit jacket with muggy, oily, taxi-stained water. Laundry day, a futile exercise of meaningless deeds. A ceremonial routine. Put a quarter in the slot, wait an hour, beg up your hot, clean clothes, step out the door of the laundrette, just as the Central Station Express thunders through an oversaturated gutter, coating you and your bag of clothes in freshly squeezed city juice. The city also has bad breath. You know, like a dog. This is the place I called home. I called her my wife and my office. The streets are my desk, the bus station my water cooler, the train station my coffee room, and the police station my conference room. I also actually just actually have an office as well. That's where I was when she walked in, sitting at my desk. My actual desk, not the streets, which are also my desk. Hunched over a Cuban cigarette. Clenched my rock-hard abs as I dry-heaved last night's debauchery into the waste paper basket. She stepped into my office with the elegance of fourteen swans. The first thing I noticed were her legs. They were long. Long like never-produced Jodorowsky's Dune movie. They were kind of thin at the bottom bit where the ankles were, then got slightly thicker at the calf area. The knees were normal, then got mega thick at the thigh part, uh, but in a good way. Thick thighs saved lives, and I wanted to cling onto those like a life boy and never let go. Then I saw her hips. They flanked a rotund buttocks that spoke to me. I felt a connection with them, and I wanted to know more. Her tummy, draped in luxurious purple silk, reminded me of the slide in the playground at school, perfectly curved, slightly dented in the middle, and bristling with static electricity. I wanted to climb up those ample bosoms and scream, Whee! all the way down. Her shoulders were broad and sexy. Mounted upon them was a perfect head with eyes that pierced my very eyes. She was breathtaking. Her hair had a fire within that had to be freed. She removed her hair clip and let the lava loose, bedazzling me with their furious aroma of cheap hairspray and cigarette smoke. I ran out of body parts to look at, so I turned my focus to the negative spaces created by her curves. Her waist and neck created circles in the air, little hoops that I would gladly jump through like her obedient lap dog. Then I would curl up patiently at her feet, Feet! That's right, she also had feet. They were also sexy. It was at this point I realized that she had been talking at me for the last three minutes. I hadn't heard a word. I finished my cigarette, lit a new one, and asked her to start again. If you like reading, you should try it with your ears.
guys, don't worry, it's me. <laughs> we didn't get a guest reader narrator. That's a ridiculous idea, since I'm more than enough for this pod. I just got inspired by this deeply layered and richly painted tale. Exit, Pursued by Guns, by Mark Nato. I was like, oh, this has that film noir type feel, so I should allow myself to be inhabited by the stereotype of a hardened detective. And, you know, I, like chose a voice that, that fits that and, and read that way. But I understand that can be upsetting for those of you who come to be soothed by my mouth and tongue and throat. The sounds of me that I envelop you with. So now you can also hear rain in the background because of a a similar mise-en-scene background texture inspired by this murky, but in a good way, text. And not because I've inserted it in editing for mood. Well, I did that with music, yes. But the rain is there because there's actual rain going on here outside. I'm here on the rainy, hard... Ow! hard streets of Silhouette City. I've opted to record the episode en plein air, as it were, because the mood and atmosphere and actual literal descriptions in this week's book took me there in my mind. But my body also wanted a hit of that noir Silhouette City smack. Plus, this week's author is unable to record remotely. Oh, sidebar, by the way, did you not know that I've never been in the same room as the authors? <laughs> For reals? Oh, God, heavens no. I think authors, like voice personalities, have faces for radio. I assume their visages are not, well, not necessarily hideous, but certainly not as, you know, going weak in the knees as my imagined image of them. I mean, maybe this week's author, Mr. Nato, doesn't suffer from, you know, gargoyle face. Uh, maybe he's got a face made of, you know, chiseled granite, which actually would be terrible because the face is one of our most expressive parts of our bodies, after the posterior, and if his face was immovable, it would be intimidating, emotionless. Sad. Maybe shocked. I'm just guessing all the emotions you'd have to project on someone with a granite face could be a lot. And you'd never know if you were right. So no, I've always recorded remotely with the authors so I don't get disappointed. But today, I've traveled to the city to meet the author and sit on opposite sides of an opaque partition and record him and our conversation. He said he was indisposed, and I don't know if that means he's in jail, or someone has locked him in a closet, or, or if perhaps his own life fetish is living in a large box. Don't know. Let's find out. Okay, just walking down the street. Oh, that's a large door. go up this set of stairs. Okay, and here we are, sat and ready to record with the author. Uh, Just a quick note, it it, it was the latter. He he lives in a box, and that box is in a prison. So I guess we'll have to ask him about that story, too. Hi, Mark. I I feel like I've learned so much uh, about you today already. How you doing? (coughs) Hey. I, so, you... You that, uh, podcast guy. Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Have you had multiple um, audio people contacting you? No. Oh. But the guard told me there was going to be a visitor at some point today. Yeah. Can't imagine why. Oh, sure. Don't get many no visitors. No one visits me. Yeah. No. So, so prison, huh? <laughs> It's not as glamorous as you imagined, huh? In my imagination, I don't know if I'd call it glamorous, but but I do hear a lot about how there's, like, video games available and workout rooms. Do you get that here, or is this more like locked in a, a literal small cell? I don't care much. Oh. I don't care much for video games, sure. actually. Okay. Leave that to the young ones. Like the young prisoners, or, or you mean young people outside of prison? Listen, man. Oh, yeah. The real world. 
It fucking grabs you by the ears and screams in your face. I've had that happen. Here in Silhouette City, it's weird. Does that happen a lot here? Yeah, you met Benny, huh? Oh, God, he didn't actually give me his name. He was screaming too loud. Yeah, shook you down for your change, huh? That would explain why I didn't have a... Yes, okay. That's where my change went. Thank you. We'll move on and just start talking about the book, and, and you know, unless, unless you've got more you need to get out about prison life. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're my captive audience, aren't you? <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad the pun landed for you. So, Mark... One thing I want to comment on, or, you know, or just talk about whatever happens, is is the length of your book. It is really, really long. I mean, I think I stopped counting after about 4,200 pages, but I kept reading. In fact, I've not even finished it, and I can't imagine when I will, even though I'll keep at it. Well, there's uh, so many, many ways you can make love to a woman. Right. And there's equally countless ways to punch a man. Right. Square in the jaw. Right. And I wanted to depict as many as possible, you see? Yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that whenever there was a fight, that you not only described the fight, but you described literally dozens of other ways the fight could have gone. Yeah, it's it's uh, because, you know, when you're, when you're in that kind of situation, which I've been in many a time, you know, when you're face-to-face with a panting brute. Yeah homunculus hunk of a man breathing down on each other squaring up in the dance of life right knowing only one of you is gonna leave there yeah well you don't have time to think you can't do all the things you want to do to that man and you leave either clenching a swollen jaw yeah or skipping happy down the sidewalk but either way you think all the all the different ways it could have gone But of course, when you're writing a book, you have the opportunity to explore and examine those different paths. It sounds like when you have a fight, you're often feeling quite unrequited. I wouldn't call it a fight, really. Okay. What I call it is a death march. Oh, yeah. Two men, fearless, seeing nothing but red, breathing nothing but the steam of blood. Ooh, blood steam. (laughs) It sounds pretty messy. So are you saying, though, that like whenever you, you have these... Not fights, I guess, but interactions with men that there's there's often a little death, and that's kind of part of what you like about it, the, the little death? Death ain't little punk. There's like a French term. The only French thing that comes out of my mouth are the fries after a night of drinking. I see what you mean. You consume them during your, your blind blackout, drunken rage, and then later on they come out again as if your soul was trying to reveal itself and, and atone. Reunited at last. That's really good. I like, yeah. But yeah, death ain't small. It's the big bad that we're all searching for. Yeah. We're all just dreaming of that final breath. And it comes. It's going to come for you. God knows it's coming for me. Do you think you'll know it? Do you think it'll be like, oh, this is it, final breath? <laughs> no, no, wait, wait, no, uh, that's not, this isn't it, is it? <clears throat> no, no, no. I ain't breathed my last yet. Thank God I've not had anyone die on my podcast yet. That'd be kind of amazing, though, if I caught it. <laughs> you know, because singular experience. But so anyway, but you, you keep talking about death isn't small. And, and again, I want to go back to, like, how how big your book is. You know, it is physically impressive. Mm. And, and, and I want to say it's bigger in all dimensions, too. Longer and thicker than normal books. But it also has, like, a really nice smooth cover. Well. You know, it's, it's, it's a really nice touch, I think, in this edition, too, that you left the extra leather on the book jacket just kind of dangling down and, and untrimmed. So it sort of enveloped and protected the pages when it was mm. just lying there. It's really great. Well, those are all uh, trimmings from my... Um 
my old jackets. Oh, really? I wanted to put myself into this book, you know? Nice. I insisted that the publisher... Well, you know, you, you said that the cover was very smooth. Yeah. I was trying to persuade the publishers to allow me to have that embossment of the text and, and have the image pop a little bit and come out a bit 3D, but they, they said it would cost too much. Yeah. So I said, um, oh, I got some old leather jackets. I wouldn't mind cutting them up yeah. into a thousand little strips and attaching one to each book. And they said, well, we're not paying anyone to do that kind of shit. What are you, fucking crazy? So I said, I'll do it. Oh, nice. Send the books to my house. They sent them up to my apartment, and I spent the best of three weeks print sticking strips of my old biker jackets onto the spines of each book. Uh-huh. It's nice to have a, like a crafty hobby, isn't it? I like it. Well, you got to do something with your hands, you know, if you're not oh, agreed. caressing the smooth skin of a voluptuous woman or punching the teeth into the throat of a foe. Yeah. You keep your hands busy. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I don't know how to cook much. <laughs> That's all right. You know, we all got our own hobbies. There's been a lot of focus on sort of intellectual pursuits, whereas I think that the physical, uh, working with your hands, there's a real intelligence to that, but not in the sort of academic way. Painting the picture that the world isn't all about, like, writing smart essays, but rather, you know, living in a physical world. A real man works with his hands, you see. Yeah. And that's something I learned on the force back in my... My force days, you know. Oh, right. So you've got uh, some real background for understanding criminals, but from a sort of like trying to take them down perspective. Uh, I spent many a time scoping out the joints of ne'er-do-wells. Ne'er-do-wells. Yeah, I never know how to say it either. There's a lot of weird apostrophes in there. The place where bad guys hang out. Sure. Nerd-wells. Nerd-wells. That's fine. Thank you. And, um, you know, trailing bad guys, punching bad guys. Arresting bad guys, taking bad guys back to the station, interrogating bad guys, putting cigarettes out on bad guys. Yeah. Over the last few years, you know, cops been getting bad rep, you know. All this ACAP business makes me sick. Odd that cops would get a bad rep with, you know, putting cigarettes out on criminals. So I, you don't have to get into, like, Fifth Amendment self-incrimination area, but did you... Um... Everything I did was above board. Oh, that's what I'm wondering. Like, did you end up in prison because of you... this? Or, or is this like a less sort of legal gray area? And uh... No, I wish. I feel like I've been stabbed in the back, betrayed by my brothers. Oh, no. What happened? I can't believe they locked me up in here. I thought they'd turn the other way. Times have been hard, you know? Sure. And uh, In prison or outside of prison? Before this. Before, yeah. Kind of nice in uh, prison. I was struggling. Yeah. I got evicted. Oh, no. I didn't know how to... Put a meal on my table. Yeah. And... It's important, too. I had to... Gotta eat. Yes. Yeah. Man's gotta eat. Yeah. I mean, like, literally. With with his hands. Right, exactly. It's kind of odd when you see people just putting their hands behind their backs and putting their faces in, like, bowls of soup. It doesn't work. It doesn't work as well as you think it does. And I didn't know how to cook, you know? Oh, yeah. All these, uh, you know, these, these, uh, what, what do you call them? Those places where homeless men... Get free food. What are they called? Food banks or something. Um, food bank. Thank sure, you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. All these food banks, man. They don't. They don't offer ready meals. You know, it's all just like rice. Yeah. Onions, cucumbers, carrots, flour, 
wow, I didn't realize that, that that was the state of food banks. They were just handing out onions and rice. My hostel room was filled with fucking bags of flour and onions. Like for storage, or was that what you slept on? It was the donations I was given, and yes, I had to. It was comfier than the fucking mattress they gave us in there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I made a bed. Sure. I, I put some bags of flowers down. I'm quite crafty, you know. I can't cook, but I can craft. Yeah. So yeah. I laid the bags of flour down and poured some water over them so they were a bit mushier. And then I used the bag of onions as a pillow, and that's where I'd nestle down for an evening. Wake up smelling like soup. Yeah. Sadly, I had to resort to stealing for my, for my meals, you know? Yeah. One box of Pop-Tarts. Totally. And I'm locked up for three years. That was it? It's like as bad as lame is. Imagine if they were singing that and were like, all of this for a box of Pop-Tarts. And you're like, it doesn't seem like three years matches a box of Pop-Tarts, but that is the justice system these days. Unfair. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, sorry. I went into musical theater. I, look, I, I understand. That doesn't really seem like your world. I didn't want to assume. There's a whole story about a guy who stole a loaf of bread and then it was put away in jail for a long time in, in like revolutionary era, you know, France. Anyway, unrelated. Just a quick question, though. You kept saying that you didn't know how to cook. And I just was I just wanted to be clear. You don't understand, like, the concept of heating food? I refuse to cook, damn it! Okay, fine. It's not It's your... not my job. Yep, understood. Anyone else who wants to provide nutrition for you, whether it's cooked or cold, that's fine. You're, you're happy to take it from others. There's a nice uh, fish and chip shop. Hmm. Used to be down the road from the hostel. Nice. If I head in there towards closing time, I beg for 20, 30 minutes, they'd often give me a box of fries, leftover fish. Yeah. Those were my main sources of sustenance for a few months. This would explain why you were vomiting up fries, because you had been out begging at the fish shop. Precisely. You got a keen eye. You ever thought about joining the force? I've dreamt about it, but I just don't trust authority enough. So I'd feel like if I was working there, I wouldn't trust myself. And right now, I inherently believe in myself. So I didn't want to lose that. Let me put you in a scene. Let's see how you do. Okay. I got some people I could put you in touch with, you know, if this whole podcast in business doesn't work out. And right now it is certainly bringing in a lot of money. So, yeah, I might take you up on that afterwards. Give you a little call, say, Dwayne could use a little extra dosh on the side. Picture this. Okay. You're chasing a perp. All right. Down a busy... Perp very similar to like a perv? Yeah, yeah. Let's say he's a perv. He's been caught flashing uh, elderly ladies outside the nursing home. Oh, okay. God, that happens too often, doesn't it? Okay, yep. You're chasing him down 5th and Main. Yeah. 2 a.m. Yeah. The rain splashing on your crown. Your leather jacket ripples. Your muscles bulge. Yeah. You're panting. A little bit of snot dribbling out your nose. Yeah, that happens, yeah. He turns a corner into a dark, dank alleyway. Okay, I see it. Does it smell like soup? You turn to face him. Yeah. And he's flanked by two of his buddies. Oh, no. Each one holding a crowbar. Oh, man, I, just, I thought I could handle the one guy, but three with crowbars? Damn it. What do you do? I was going to say I'll call the cops, but I am the cops. You are. So, um, I assume that once I become a cop, I, like, immediately understand martial arts. So, I pick up the lid of a trash can and throw it at the wall, and it bounces off and hits one guy in the back. And he's like, ah, you know, he drops his crowbar. And the other guy's like, did you see that shit? And while he's distracted, I'll just kick the first guy in the balls, because I don't think that's off limits. That's the first lesson they teach us. Yes, good. I haven't obviously been trained yet. Go straight for the nuts, boy. Why not, right? Like, nature's weak point. It's there. Take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And then um, I assume while they're distracted, what, what do I have, like those zip tie things? And I can just like zip tie one guy's ankle to another guy's wrist and then take another guy's other ankle and, and get it to another guy's wrist. And I could make like a, a perp or perv human centipede in the alleyway. 
Okay. Okay, you got a bit convoluted there in the end. And I'm sorry. Tying them all up and kicking the balls worked. You, you just keep doing that. Right. Simpler is better. Do that three times. Yeah. I like you started with the trash can lid, bounce off the wall, quite creative. The nut strike, nut strike, nut strike, all on the ground. And then you just start pounding on them, man. Yeah. Just start pounding on them till they're fully, fully out. Right. Then you get the zip ties, put them in the squad car, take them down to the station. And then the fun really begins. Are they alive or dead at this point? Oh, no. You keep them alive. Right. That's kind of important. You have to toe that line, man. Right. Soon as you cross that line, you go from cop to criminal. But you can get really close. Of course. Your boys will always cover for you. Yeah. As close as you can, if you like. Great. Sometimes you just need to get the job done, and that's enough. Thank you for this lesson in police work. Do you mind if we get back to you talking about your book? Ostensibly, that's why we're here. Of course, yeah. Great. Thank you. In that first passage uh, that I read out loud, what really struck me was how much you anthropomorphized the city. Like, you really made it a character. But it was a character that your main character seemed to have quite a deep relationship with. Like, it seemed like he had definitely tried sleeping with the city at some point and probably been rebuffed and then would often get drunk and try to sleep with the city again. And we don't know if they've ever had sex. Is that the case? Or, or oh, he's, had, he's had plenty of sex. It's, with the city? It's quite evident. No, uh, not not with this. Well, you know, all the ladies who, who live in the city, they're, they're part of that city. Right. Sex doesn't just need to be a physical thing, you see. Oh. Everything we do is make love. Right. That's quite profound. When you make a coffee in the morning, you're yeah. making love with those grounds. Pushing them into the filter, pouring that hot, steamy water. And that hot black juice in your mouth. Exactly, you're getting it. You're saying, uh, yeah, the, the city, anthropomorph, that's a clever word you used, and I would have to concur. Thank you. I like to call it emotionalizing. Oh, sure. Yeah. He emotionalizes the city because, you know, when you work in this gritty uh, endeavor, such as uh, law enforcement, you have to get intimate with your surroundings. Sure. You have to understand every nook. Every cranny. And develop a level of trust with each other so that you can really work in there. Yes, and if you can't get that trust, you have to at least have an understanding that when the city betrays you, you know why, and you're ready for it. By getting this intimate relationship with the city you live in, you can feel every heartbeat. Right. You know all the comings and the goings, especially the comings. And you know where to be. you got to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And in order to do that, you need to get intimate. Yeah. You're always on, always turned on and intimate with the city. You're not separating the the women of the city from the city itself. It's all part of the same sort of fabric. Was the city based on anyone you know? You know, when I was a young boy, I had this aunt. She was called Babs. Good name for an aunt. She was an ugly troll. Oh, my. You know those ants who, they have like three hairs on their chin? Yes. And then whenever you see them, they insist that you give them a kiss on the lips. Yeah, and oddly sometimes stroke the hair. I don't know why those two things have to be connected, but they do it. A lot of inappropriate touching, yes. And and it, it confused me as a child because, you know, I was afraid of her. I didn't know whether uh, she really loved me or if this was some sort of torture. At the same time, my dear friend, she awoken a lot of things in me. She was the first woman to touch me like that. Not in anything inappropriate, of course. Sure. I just mean a gentle stroke of the hair, a pat on the back. It's different. You know? Yeah. She'd hold my hand and take me to the store. My mom, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't as close with me as other members of my family. I, yeah. I rarely saw my mom. Right. But Babs was there for you. My dad was a real brute. He, he didn't treat me good at all. So in, essence, in a way, the only love I was getting was from my aunt. But it was a scary love. Yeah. It was a confusing love. Kind of the best kind. It's really exciting when you're like a little bit scared of the love. It's the only kind I know. 
You know what happens when you're scared? No, I don't. Tell me. You're prepared. Yes, like fight or flight. You're ready for whatever is going to happen. That's right. Like a squirrel. If they sit still, something's wrong because they're like, <laughs> so you're like a little squirrel with your hand. Sure, a squirrel or, or like a rabid guard dog. Sure, yeah, rabid guard dog. Fine. That, that, yep. That's better, isn't it? Sure. I tend to think in nut-based, scrounging and hiding-based creatures. Squirrel. I don't know why. Just drawn to them. What's your favorite nut? Ooh, good question. Do you know, I want to say cashew, but I, f- I think that they're actually not technically nuts. They're seed or something. But, you know, for the sake of general terms, cashew. Cashew. Yeah. Good to know. You can tell a lot about a man, about what kind of nut they enjoy. That's true. What's your favorite nut? Walnut. Nice. Interesting. You got to crack into it. Yeah. It's got a thick shell and it gives you a challenge. It doesn't just lay around going, hi, I'm a cashew. Come and eat me. You don't have to do nothing. Just pick me up and pop me in your mouth. Right. And the pistachio, man, that's like a half-assed attempt at a nut. Its shell's already half open for you. I know. Just got to prize it open. I know. It is a lazy nut. Whereas a walnut, a walnut, you need a tool. You need a pair of strong hands. Yeah. You gotta crack that shit, get at the flesh inside. And it kind of looks like a brain, so it's kind of like I've broken open someone's head and I'm consuming their consciousness and identity. Yeah, the brains of your enemy. Getting back to questions, this her that you mentioned in the, the first portion, which now I think might actually be inspired by your Aunt Babs. Cecile. It's Cecile. Yeah, what a fox. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I hadn't actually connected to later on. But in that first passage, you mm. compare her and your sexual attraction to a playground slide. And I say, this is recalling, a, say, a burgeoning sexuality in childhood, which I think is quite Freudian. Who? Psychologist Freud, Sigmund Freud. Psychology. That's for sissies. So you don't believe in... The only psychology I need is to be found at the bottom of a bottle of whiskey. Fair enough. And the psychology you find there, is that generally rage or loss of identity and, and focus by blacking out? Sleep. Oh, sleep. Sure, sleep is an emotion. Silence. Peace. I get it. Fascinating. My Aunt Babs, she used to take me down to the playground. She'd give me a little stroke of the hair and say, go, go have some fun, Mark. Go let off the steam. Yeah. I know your dad's been difficult with you this morning, but he's not here. Right. Go enjoy yourself. And I'd look around and make sure she wasn't fucking lying to me. Oh. And she was right. He wasn't there. Yeah. For once, watching me, shouting at me, telling me I've been bad. And I felt free. Right. I'd climb up to the top of that slide and I'd just let go. Great. Oh. This is such a complex psychology. I can see how it all plays into your writing. Why you would use that visual metaphor for when talking about Cecile, the slide, and because your freedom. People like to think men are complicated, but we're not really. We're pretty simple. Right. We, we just want a good time. Sure. And when things make us angry or frustrated, we just need to smash those feelings. Pound them like the face of an enemy. Right. Pound them down with the strong scotch. Oh, Push it back until you can reach a point where you can just let go right? and slide on down. And I assume the scotch helps you get to the physical release, whether that be sleep or pounding someone's face. Or jerking off. Or jerking off, sure. At that point, are you so drunk that, like, is it that thing where, like, one hand, it feels like a stranger? It's just kind of muscle memory by that point, you know. It's autopilot. Right, sure. If you think about it, all the jerking off is just our physiology. I mean, bonobos do it. It's not complicated. It's a thing that happens. Feels good, but, you know. Who? Monkeys, really close relative to us. So anyway, this is the portion where you, the author, read a passage from your book. You know, just for comparesies, because, you know, who knows? Maybe I didn't read it quite right. And then hearing someone slaughter your work, I assume that could be quite dwaning. So why don't you pick up from your book? You've got it in front of you, right there. I'll give you a second because it's really heavy. They didn't let me take much in here, but God damn, they were going to let me take my book. 
You won't be separated from my pride and joy, my baby. Why don't you pick up from, um, geez, I don't know, uh, like page 2718. Now you like that part, huh? Where it begins on the eighth paragraph with, um, if I was ever going to find Cecile's painting. <coughs> take it all in, take it all in. I don't want this to be your last breath. And just a quick question. Yeah. Do you want underlying environment sounds like the rain during your read or, or music? I'll, I'll put it in later so it, won't, it, it could be whatever you want. Sure. Yeah. Do you have a preference? I need to sell some copies of this. So if you can make it sound good and atmospheric, then go ahead. Let's do it. I'll make the choice then. Okay. Go ahead. If I was ever going to find Cecile's painting, it was going to be here. The drunken baker was an old pub on the corner of 6th and 7th. It was a good place to pick up an 8th if you were jonesing. All of the macabre deals of Silhouette City were made in this joint. They were often broken here, too. Hands shook other hands. Backs were scratched and backs got stabbed. But if you spent the whole time watching your back here, someone would surely be grabbing the wallet out of your front pockets. I better keep my head on a swivel. Thankfully, my favorite barmaid was on shift tonight, Deborah. I asked her to meet me in the bathroom. And we made love on top of an unflushed John in cubicle three. Our throbbing breaths formed steam on each other's foreheads. She was a good lay. Cecile was also. But she knew she could get away with being lazy because she was so damn pretty. Deborah had a hairy mole on her lip that seemed to enthuse her with a passion for pleasing a man. There was no position we didn't do in that cramped cubicle, apart from the 69. It's hard to do that one standing up. We sure did try, though. It's a shame the flush wasn't working, because the smell of poop was distracting, especially as I held Deborah upside down in the aforementioned attempted standing 69. We had to stop to catch our breaths. We made love three more times before doing up our belts and sitting down for a cigarette. I sat on the toilet, and Deborah sat on my lap. I took the opportunity to do a bit of digging. So, Debs, any dogs in this dark town been through here trying to sell a painting? I said through the smoky, poopy air. A lot of guys sell all kinds of things in this place. What's this a painting of? She wheezed. A dog. A prized pedigree poodle sewing a poppy onto a kimono. Hmm, let me think. Her nasally voice reminded me why I always refuse to date this woman. Ah, yes, the Mike Schaefer piece. I heard it was worth quite the mint. So, you have seen it, I said. Well, not exactly, but I overheard two shadowy figures discussing a deal. They said they were meeting at the docks at midnight to make a trade. I think they mentioned a poodle of some sort. I jumped up onto my feet, sending Deborah into the cubicle door. She nearly choked on her cigarette, but I didn't have time for any first aid. That's in 20 minutes. I made for the latch to get out of this musky poop hole. But Cedric Danger, when will I see you again? Are you ever going to take me away from this forsaken town of dogs? Won't you at least take me to that fancy restaurant I keep telling you about on the corner of 9th and 10th Avenue? Her desperate eyes made me cringe. How many times I gotta tell you, Debs, you're good for two things. A good screw and a bad screwdriver and nothing more. I'll see you next time I want a vodka orange and some sex. Oh, danger. One of these days, I'll get tired of making love to you, just for you to walk away. Not anytime soon, but one of these days. She leaned in and kissed my cheek. Sure thing, toots, and I can't wait for that day to come. We made love six more times, and then I left for the docks. 
Wow. What a scene. There you go. You really play around with the language in there. What do you mean? You kind of go on and talk about the sort of lusty exploits with this barmaid, Deborah, and, and you give an interesting description of your breath forming steam on each other's foreheads. Mm. And I would say that steam would only form on something cold. We often form steam on mirrors. Mm. So while this seemed like a hot encounter, I think it was really saying how much it reflects on your protagonist's cold and empty life. Well, uh, if, if you carry on reading into the next chapter, um, there is actually a long passage about the drunken baker, the pub we were in, and how they couldn't afford to pay their heating bills. Right. And so it really gets into the weeds a little bit about their tax situation and their bills. Sure. The repossessors come in to take away their billiards table and their television. They're not in a, in a stable financial situation. And right. of course, as the book goes on, the pub closes down, and that causes a bit of an ordeal for Cedric. And, right where to find these shadowy figures and because you know that was his main go-to place to go and do some snooping right it's really important for you to get that base of working class and borderline poverty to give people the understanding of the difficult world these people are living in well what's the first line of the book my friend i I don't know was it silhouette city it's a bitch. Yeah, right. Sorry, I, did. I should have known that. It sets our location right away. Yes. Oh, and the silhouette then is kind of like we're not seeing the entirety of people, just these sort of vague outlines. Is that a thing about how we reduce people to stereotypes? Sure. Especially in a place like Silhouette City? Everyone is just a figure of a ghost of a human floating down the street to their next destination. Cool. Mindless drones, apart from the criminals and the cops. They're the only ones who know where they're going. And you know where that is? Where? Death, my friend. It always comes back to death, doesn't it? Hmm. Mm. It's an interesting contrast where you talk about many different things, contrasting a very alive thing like sex with a very not alive thing like death. And then you sort of mix in there as well some of the other things that make life beautiful. Like this painting that you described sounds absolutely elegant. It's amazing. And somehow in all the dark and dankness, you find beauty. And it's a thing that's really important to Cedric. There's uh, something to be said about a splash of color in a dark place like Silhouette City. Ah. The vibrance. Right. It stands out, you know? Yeah, it really does. We chase it. Yeah. And uh, my Aunt Babs, she used to take me down to the museum, the Museum of Modern Art, and uh, she taught me how to look at the world in a new way. When all was was pain and suffering and taking, she reminded me that there is color in this world and and people can create real beauty, you know? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Now, would she do that with a loving embrace or was she giving you, like, psychedelics to, like, you know, help you kind of see things and hallucinate? There was a lot of cough syrup involved. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. She said it would calm calm my nerves, you know. Yeah. I was always a bit shaky when she picked me up from my dad's place. Yeah. After a while, it would settle in. My tummy would would feel a bit funny for a while, but then it would calm down and my eyes would open. Yeah. So would my heart. Ah. So your remembrances of your Aunt Babs are of a warm embrace and a lot of cough syrup, and that's really informed your writing and how you view the world. I hope so. It's some sort of tribute to to what she did for me as a child, you know? But again, I was terrified of her as as well. And I was confused. It's a confusing feeling for a small boy. Yeah. I would look forward to seeing her because it was better than my life at home. But also, she was a bit handsy. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think that she had control over that? Or or was she just sort of moved by her connection with you? (sighs) 
I think she was... Did she... Can I ask? I mean, this is maybe too personal, but did she have children of her own? No. She never could. Yeah. Yeah. She always wanted them. You may be filling a hole for her. I hope I filled a hole for her. I hope I filled her hole real good. Yeah. It would it would bring me some peace to know that, you know, her hole was a gaping void that I was able to satisfy. Yeah. Yeah. I would just go in and out and in and out of her life. Repeatedly, I would assume. In and out and in and out. And whenever I was in, she just seemed to be more alive, even in her older age. Yeah. When I'd go visit her at the home, she would leap out of her chair and the nurses would say, she hasn't left that chair in, in three weeks and, and here you come. And, and she's like a, a teenage ballerina. Yeah. She would jump out of her chair and come and hug me and embrace me and tell me she missed me. Oh, huh. lovely. It's lovely the impact you can have on other people's lives. I just wish she was there to see me graduate cop school. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize she hadn't. I mean, I, I kind of assumed she sounded like a rough person. I'm sorry that she's no longer with us. Thank you. That's rough. Well, so I just want to dive into one more thing. It's kind of an mm. obvious topic from that last passage we read. Well, I actually don't really want to dive into it because that would be disgusting. But what I'm talking about here is your graphic, repeated use of feces. I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with scat literature, so I ask you now, even if I feel like we sort of touched on it before, do you see feces as the physical manifestation of the inner torment of your main character, and therefore all of humanity? Or are we all just kind of trying to purge our shit demons? Well, I don't know what a lot of those words meant, but look, here's the thing about shit. It stinks. It's ugly. The texture is, is off-putting. Yeah. Yeah, it's poisonous. It's toxic. It's true. But something else about shit it's everywhere. It is. Any walk on any day, and I cannot believe the amount of shit I see. Dogs do it. People do it. Lovely ladies do it. Mm. Little tiny mice do it. Yeah. Birds do it. Old people do it. Every, yeah. Bonobos that you mentioned earlier, they probably do it. Oh, they certainly do. Oh. I think they fling it. There you go. They celebrate it. I think more humans, if certain societal barriers were removed, would be closer to poo flingers. It just feels like we're just on the cusp of that. But here's the thing, buddy. Yeah. We like to imagine it doesn't exist. People push it back. People ignore it. But it's everywhere. We all do it and it's there. Yeah. There's no more evident way of displaying that than a backed up toilet that just won't flush. It's like it's staring you in the face saying, hey, you forgot about me, huh? You're trying to pretend I don't exist, huh, buddy? Well, here I am in all my glory. Me and all my friends piled up on top of each other and we will not go away. You can pull that chain all you like, but I'm staying right here, buddy, until you get yourself a spoon and scoop me out one turd at a time and face the fact that life is shit. It is a beautiful metaphor because it's one of those things where shit, like I think the underworld that you're kind of referencing there, is one of those things in society, you know, um, sanitation and stuff, hmm. that is handled so that we don't think about it where does it all go but it's all there it's all being handled but some people can't avoid it and it sounds like you couldn't avoid it it was a big part of the industrial revolution is is deleting the idea of shit in society yeah before that the streets were littered with it right the rivers were overflowed with it right you couldn't walk down the street and not smell it it, it was everywhere it was pungent it was floating in the air and we would be walking through it. Right. And that's really changed the way we've interacted with the world because we no longer have that constant reminder. Even if I say that I've seen lots of dog mess out in the world, it's nothing compared to how it used to be. And we all do it. Right. Like eight or nine times a day. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. <laughs> I make a point to uh, include it in my writing as a reminder, a gentle reminder. And it's nothing to be afraid of. No, 
No, no, very natural. It makes me wonder, uh, just curious, do you wear like adult diapers now? Not anymore because they don't let me have them here in, in prison. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you can see in the corner of my room, there's a toilet right there. Yeah. So I'm never too far from it. That's one of the few luxuries of being here is that I'm never more than four feet away from my john. Yeah, it's like a nice upgrade from your previous life. So actually prison's not too bad for you, huh? I'll get out of here. I'll get out of here one day. And I think the first thing you'll do is find a place with a toilet. Never leave. And never leave that place. It's a simple life, but I respect it. That's great. But yeah, it's not too bad here. You get free eats. There's a toilet. They let me have my book. And now, hey, I'm getting visitors. <laughs> will you will you come back and see me sometime? Absolutely. I I'll just, you know what? I'll just make a I'll just make an appointment with the um the the guard at the front desk, I assume, would be a good yeah. Yeah, on on your way that out, you can great. you can he's got the book right there, and you can just put your name in in the time slot, and and you can come back. Totally, yeah. Uh, you can come back tomorrow. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. You just wait for me tomorrow, and I'll show up again. So I would just like to say that is all the time we have for this week. So I'd like to thank you very much, Mark Nato, for talking with us and sharing your insights into your complicated and and difficult history, as well as how that informs your book, Exit Pursued by Guns. Did you have anything else you wanted to say, Mark, before we sign off? If there are any uh, lawyers listening to this or anyone with, uh, with accommodation, they're willing to donate to a struggling writer and ex-cop, please uh, be in touch with the precinct and pass on your details, and I will. I would love to connect. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, we, we do have a lot of lawyers that listen. So I like I really hope that works out for you. Just a box of Pop-Tarts, you know. It's not fair. I know. It seems so unfair that the tiniest thing that's like okay but not amazing could be the thing that puts you in jail for years. So thanks again, Mark, for welcoming us into or outside of your, your cell, sharing your book and your insights. And just a reminder to all of you, keep reading with your ears. Try it with your ears. Your eyes are good, but what they see can be misunderstood. So your ears are best for getting those feelings in your chest. 